0: This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor of Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. Uh, my prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at A little over 12 years ago, when I saw my wife first lead worship, at that time, my girlfriend and, uh, I started to cry uh, as she's saying Oh the blood." It was so beautiful, and uh, I, ca- I can just remember those first moments. And uh, in five days, I think it'd be 12 years, so or 13 years. I can't—I don't know—one of those two. 12? It is 12. Okay. <laughs> Um, but it's been 11 years since we've been married. We uh, Six months after we started dating, we got engaged. About six months after that, eight months after that, we uh, got married. And, you know, since then, every day you have to choose to commit, to covenant, to continue what we chose that, that day in marriage. We have to choose. To base, you know, rings often are just a picture. Um, but what we say and what we do is really uh, living out that commitment that we made. And resentment, anger, bitterness, all are trying to unravel the commitment that we made. Resentment wants to rob you of the joy, hope, peace, forgiveness, and love that Jesus Christ wants for your marriage. This morning, I want to look at the long the, the term, the longevity, the future of your marriage while understanding the commitment that we made to one another. As friends, as co-workers, and in marriage, you make a commitment. You make a commitment to honor God and to honor one another. That the marriage may be honored in our culture so that God may be glorified. But resentment seeks to unravel that. You see, commitment works slowly over your lifetime to prove love. But resentment works slowly throughout your marriage to create hate. Resentment wants to unravel commitment. In Scripture, God has covenanted to His people, specifically to Israel, to work through Israel to get to Jesus, but it's the covenant that leads to the grace. God has committed, covenanted to get to Jesus, but it's not really the covenant that inspires the grace, it's the grace and love that inspires the covenant. The covenant just leads to the grace. You see, you committed to one another, but the question is, are you just committed? Are you just covenanted? Or did that covenant commitment come from grace and love that's continuing today and every day past today into the moment you step into eternity and all is perfected? You got to ask yourself today, am I committed or am I in love and in grace and in forgiveness? You see, commitment leads to love and grace and, and forgiveness, but one without the other ain't going to work because Israel led to Jesus, amen? The covenant led to the forgiveness, amen? And in your life, you've got to lead out that commitment, lead out in that comi- uh, covenant to get to the grace and to get to the forgiveness and to, the lo- to get to the love in your marriage. This morning, we need to remember that God worked through Israel for thousands of years to get to Jesus, and God might be working in your life for many years to work in you, to bring you to who God has called you to be through your spouse, through your friends, and through your co-workers, and ultimately through the Spirit of God working in you through them to bring you to who he has you to be. So I want to challenge you to find your commitment in marriage. I want, you to, I want to challenge you to extend grace to one another and ultimately to draw each other towards Christ in your relationships. Hebrews 13.4 says this, Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Marriage is to be honored by all. What does this mean? Marriage I, I look at marriage throughout scripture and, and it, it, there's not a it's not used a lot, that word marriage. What it is used is typically used of a wedding feast. Um, and I think back on How did Jesus honor marriage? And I think back, the first miracle he performed was at a wedding feast. This particular word. And Jesus honoring the wedding feast, recognizing the importance of what marriage looks like in our culture. Jesus honoring, just like we all should honor marriage. I think about our culture in particular compared to their culture, and I think that you know, for them, they had two things going on. First, they had, well, primary things. They also obviously had tons of stuff going on, but they had two things primarily going on. One was, some people believe that if you're going to fall after Jesus, you had to uh, abstain from sex completely and not get married. While the other group believed that uh, you should have sex with whoever you want. They were very licentious. They just uh, they, they went around and uh, it didn't matter. Uh, marriage did not matter Sex mattered. Just fulfill your pleasures. All right? So, what this passage here in particular is doing is saying to both of those groups honor the wedding, honor marriage. All. Not just some, but all. So, everybody in this room, whether you're single or married or have been married, no matter where you are, how are you honoring marriage? It says specifically to this group of people to keep the bed undefiled, because God would judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So what does it look like in your marriage to protect it in, in physically, sexually, uh, relationally, emotionally, and all those things to protect your marriage so that nothing can creep in? Because over time, anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, greed, wrath, all of those things, over time can build up. We're not going to let them sneak in because we're going to protect our marriages. Why? Because we're honoring. So what does it look like this morning for you to recommit to what God called you to, how many ever years ago it was before, so that you honor marriage? It's one thing for us to take a bullhorn and go out in the culture and just go, hey, I see your relationship sexually, and that's sin. I see this, and this is not how God created it to be. I see that, and that's wicked. This is so jacked up, Matt. Have you talked about this? Why don't you talk about this from the stage? Or uh, maybe you go to your friends and your uh, family, and you're like, man, this world is so corrupt. Like, do you see what they were talking about on Fox News or CNN or whatever it may be I saw in the newspaper, on social media, or the school system? Do you see all these things? But what does Scripture say to you? Marriage is to be honored by all, which includes us, starts with us, and will end with us. So our question today is, before we look at the world and analyze their marriages, have you looked at your own and said, hey, am I committed? Am I showing the world what marriage should look like, embodying honor within my marriage? So I want to walk through some ways that we can continue to honor God through the way that we treat our marriages. If God has covenanted to you to live with you and love you forever, who are you covenanted and committed to? And are you loving them and living with them forever? At the base of that question, at the foundation of that question, I want to help you to understand better how we can love one another and walk with each other and live with each other for as long as we shall live. As Galatians 5, through 23 tell us, it gives us the fruit of the Spirit, but also in Romans 8 and in Ephesians, we see all of these ways that we can live out what the Spirit is doing in us. And so I want to give you five uh, ways of life that come through the Holy Spirit and from Scripture that will transform your marriage. Forgiveness, patience, peace, joy, and hope. I've tried to narrow these down to some ways that we can really uh, lead towards love because you know the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the singular fruit. The rest are supplementing love. It's, it's how we love. Uh, Jesus, when he tells his disciples what to do, he says, love everybody like I've loved you. Right? In, in, the, in the Gospel of John. When, when he tells the disciples uh, what they should do as well, he, he says, just show them that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And in 1 John, he continues when, when, they, uh, when he's telling them how you'll know that you're Christians. Many people ask me this all the time. Well, how do I know that I'm saved, Matt? There's one key answer in Scripture. In 1 John, it tells us, do you love people? That's it. It's just a simple question. Do you love people? That's, but you down 1 John down to how do we know we're saved? The answer is, do you love people? And so I can take a bullhorn and yell at our culture what sin is, or I can show them, which I understand we should call out sin. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, I can do that, or I can look at my own life and say, hey, am I doing what 1 John called me to do? In my marriage, with my friendships, and with my coworkers, am I embodying love towards one another? And so that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start today with: Are you doing these five things that help to foster love in your marriage? Now, Galatians 5:22 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Through 23 gives us the fruit of the Spirit, but it comes because of verse 24. You see, the Holy Spirit is working in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit, but Christ is working in you to crucify sin. Look at uh, Galatians five twenty four through 25. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. God's covenant with us, and, and with, specifically with Israel, led to the crucifixion of this Savior, Jesus Christ, for our sins on the cross... But our commitment to Christ continues to lead to the crucifixion of our sins from our life. What God did on the cross is like this. On the cross, we lost death as a result of crucifixion and gained life as a result of crucifixion. It's beautiful. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and then gives us life when the cross becomes where our sin dies. Every day, as sin dies within you, we gain life. We understand what life looks like. We understand a better perspective of what it, what it means to live in Christ as sin dies within us. The cross, which was used as a torture tool, now becomes our own salvation as we're free from sin and guilt. And so in our own marriages, what we have to do is we have to look at it and go, daily am I waking up and letting that sin be crucified? Or am I waking up and bringing that right back into my marriage? For Rachel and I, 11, 12 years dating and married, every day we have to wake up and we're either going to bring sin into that marriage and let it fester and let it become anger, resentment, and bitterness, or we can let it be crucified. Paul even says that he would he would be crucified, and, and, and that's kind of a part of his life, and he sacrifices, and he says he's a servant of Christ, and all these terminologies that we look at, it, it shouldn't be unnatural that we would expect that Christ would be crucifying sin within us. So if the Holy Spirit is producing love from us, and Christ is cru, uh, crucifying sin within us, we can stand here and be like, okay, God's doing it in me. He's working all these things out within me that are so messed up and have been brought into my relationship to mess up my relationships. I think I've tried to hone in on these passages for love and for marriage. And I think that one of the greatest blessings you can do for your spouse is every day to relentlessly crucify sin. Being willing to see it, share it, and seek help from it. It helps me so much to be able to put things in categories like that. I don't know if it does you, but to be able to see it. I can see these things. We, we talk about this often because in America, it's, it's, it's really easy to hide. You can hide behind false social networks. You can hide behind a job security. You can hide behind your kids and their performance in athletics. You can hide behind your clothing because we have access to more clothing than any generation before us. You can hide behind so many things. They even make T-shirts for Guys, if they want to hide, you know what I'm talking about? It's like those t shirts, it's like they literally are marketed to you so that you don't show your belly. It's weird. I think it's weird. And I'm just saying. I'm so sorry if somebody's wearing one of those shirts today. You're awesome and loved by Christ and blessed. Oh. I just think it's part of our culture, right? It's part of our DNA to desire things that hide the reality rather than just just admitting. See it, share it, and seek help for it or hide it. And things that are hidden in the darkness, man, you're never going to find victory from those things. Bring those things out and put them in full view so that we can support one another and help each other on as we grow in Christ-likeness. See it, share it, seek help for it. So in your marriage, you're going. What am I missing here? We're having an issue. There's anger, bitterness, resentment. We're we're getting uh, in in some discussions that aren't healthy. Avoiding each other more than we ever have before. What's going on? Our natural uh, inclination is what? What's something wrong with them? Well, they changed. Job shift, food patterns change, physical uh, patterns change, exercise left, uh, health, mental health is down, uh, jobs stressful. All these things, blame, 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 blame. Rather than going, what's going on? What am I? What is going on in here? You know the beauty of marriage, guys. is Christ would love us, so we should love one another confess your sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse all unrighteousness. When you confess your sins to God, he doesn't go, man, you are one jacked up person. And I just don't want you. I don't love you. I don't care about you. Get away from me. My God loves you so much that he asks you to confess when you've Frustrated him, frustrated others, disappointed, rejected, gone against, hurt. He wants you to tell him, and he's going to forgive you. In your marriages, imagine that freedom. When you see your own sin and struggles and, and all those things that you bore within your life, you can just go, Here's where I'm failing. I'm struggling. And know that your spouse is going to forgive you. That's what marriage looks like when it's centered in the gospel. Jesus Christ is overwhelming your marriage with grace and mercy. And you go, it's okay, I love you. Because when I fail my God, He forgives me. see how this is just a continuation of the last three weeks into this moment where you can go, I forgive you too. Just like Christ forgave me. Galatians is uh, 5 and five 6, man. It says, uh, carry one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, right? Um, what we do so often in marriage is we carry each other's sin without carrying each other's burdens. Let me give you an example of that. Here's what it looks like. When you're carrying each other's sin, like when you see sin, see wickedness, and you start to bear that stuff, and you're like, man, you are corrupt. Like you, You're you making some bad decisions. I don't like what you're doing. You start pouring those things on. You start to carry those things. You, you start to view them as, as uh, wicked and evil rather than as the, the, the person that God is going from where they are to where God has for them. When you start viewing them that way, here's what it looks like. Man, you, you say things like this. You're uh, your words are hate, hateful, you're mean, uh, you're disgusting. Uh, I can't stand the way you're acting towards me. The way you treat me is, uh, is terrible, um, even you know, worse words that you may, maybe have heard or, or used. On the other side, that's when you're bearing sin. On the other side, when you're bearing struggles, here's what it looks like. I think, I think you're hurting. Your words have hurt me but I want you to know I love you, I forgive you, and I'm going to walk with you. If you need help, I'll help you. If you want to find help, I'll help you find help. And you start to bear the struggle rather than the sin. You're not viewing them for what they're doing, you're viewing it through the lens of how God's using you to help them to grow. The same way Christ is doing in your own life. In our relationships, again, we bless each other by crucifying sin and by letting the Spirit transform us so that when we see it, we can share it with forgiveness and grace being poured over us, but then also seek help. Not staying where we are, but finding where God has for us. I think that when I could nail all these things down, I think about forgiveness like the cross, the thing that overcomes resentment, and spirits, the thing that empowers transformation, and ultimately all that will lead to contentment where you say, I don't need more and I don't need less. I have exactly what God has for me. It's such a critical moment for you in your life to be able to get to that spot. Because then you'll go, you know, right now we're struggling. But I'm okay. I know what God has for me. I know you're what God has for me. And I'm going to walk with you through this. Resentment wants to rob you. Anger wants to rob you. Bitterness wants to rob you of the ability to grow together. It wants to stop you where you are. But Christ shows us, In his covenant that leads to forgiveness, that he's not finished with us. Whether thousands of years or many days, God's not finished. I don't know about you, but for my own life, I can't look, I can't look at my life and just be like, BAM, everything's fixed. I've never been able to wake up in the morning and be like, Man, I really want a cheeseburger. And then just be like, Nope, don't want cheeseburgers anymore. Like that doesn't go away. I've never been able to wake up and go, hey, I'm just going to ditch my phone completely and never use it again. If anybody's figured out how to do that, it's impressive. Why would we wake up and think our spouse is going to be perfect in a moment? It's like, I see what you're struggling with and I want you to fix it and you need to get over it, you need to change. And all of a sudden that leads to anger and bitterness and resentment. And you're like, why haven't you changed? Why haven't you grown? Why won't you do what I've told you to do? In a joking way, I I don't know if I'll ever in my life get to the point where I'm actually putting all the dishes in the dishwasher. Because always, there's one left in there. It's like my salsa dish or something like that that I forgot. And look, that doesn't mean I don't love my bride. I love her. I do. But I fail. I'm a broken man. And that's a small thing, and I know there's bigger things, but the reality is I'm not going to stop making those mistakes until heaven. And and I know they're going to mess with Rachel. I know they're going to sometimes be a stumbling block for us. But at the end of the day, she forgives me for those things. I forgive her for things. And we extend that grace and forgiveness because we can either let those things develop into anger and bitterness or we can let those things cause us to give forgiveness and grace. So I... I thought about like this covenant concept within marriage. You guys have, a lot of you who are married are wearing a ring right now. I've lost mine multiple times, unfortunately. Um, This is a silicone band because we can't afford to buy me expensive ones because I lose them. Um, But I say in every wedding, and I'll say it today, and you've probably heard me say it before, this is a picture of what you said. It's just, it's just showing you that you committed with words, vows that were commitment to live by for the rest of your life. But that doesn't really show it. What really shows it is the way you speak, Aaron, to Akela. It It's the way that you're going to use your words, G, to Kat. It's the way that you're going to encourage them when they're... <laughs> Discouraged, Barbara De Glenn. it's the way that we live not just what we wear that's going to make the difference sure you can hide behind a ring all day long but if you really want to honor marriage like Christ calls us to it's not going to be by what we wear it's going to be by what we do and I was thinking about all this and I was thinking about covenant commitment, and how we commit through our words and the vows that we make and every day waking up and committing through those vows. And I was thinking about and all that and I was like, man, does God feel like sometimes that we like come up to heaven and we like knock on the door, like banging on the door, like, hey, you got to let me in. You told me you let me into heaven. And he's like, oh, got to let these humans in. Like I don't think that God—I'm I'm confident of this based on Scripture—that God didn't look at Noah and the Ark and go, "Man, these human beings are messing up again. Looks like I'm gonna have to save them." Ugh. Like God loves His people so much that he delivered them out of their sin, out of the wickedness of murder. He delivers them out of, saves them out of that, provides for them in the midst of it, plans out their future, which leads to Jesus, saves them even despite their frustration, sin, uh, rejection of him. He still saves them again. Through his plan. And then Ephesians 2 6 through 7. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God doesn't just like, okay, you can come into heaven. I got to live with these humans who always make mistakes. He wants to live with you and love you forever. He wants you to be with Him. So much so that in Revelation it tells us that His his presence is coming down to earth to live with us for eternity. Into our world that was so messed up and jacked up that He had to send His Son into the midst of it to experience all the messed up and jacked up things, to die on a cross and raise from the dead, to go into heaven and then come back, bring His presence back down here, renew this earth so that it might be perfected for Him to live here, and then live and love us forever. If God did that for us, the way that we're going to honor each other in marriage is by doing that for one another. You, if you want how to know to, how to live in your marriage in a God-honoring way, live and love each other the way that Christ wants to live in love with you. Not wake up every morning and be like, oh, i got to live with this person again. i gotta, I got to struggle with their sin again. No, I'm going to bear their struggles again. I'm going to walk with I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to love them to the point where God's going to take them from where they are to where God has for them. And here's the thing about resentment. It does these five things. It unravels your forgiveness, your joy, your peace, your hope, and your patience. Here's how it does it. With patience, here's how it unravels patience. You lose your hope. If you lose hope, you lose patience because hope tells you that there's something coming. Patience is willing to wait for it. When you lose hope, you lose patience because I'm never going to get there. They're never going to get there. That's what it looks like in marriage. They're never going to get there. God's never going to change him Look, I don't know if if you I'm, and I'm serious. Like we're going to fail. We're going to we're going to forget the dishes in the dishwasher. We're going to say things we shouldn't have said. We're going to forget that we planned something over one of the plans that our spouse had. We're going to do things like that. Until heaven, we're never going to be perfected. But there's hope. Heaven's coming. Your spouse is going to be perfected. You're going to be perfected. Your marriage is going to to embody the gospel until the day that you die. And when you die, you're going to see perfection. And you're going to see your spouse one day perfected. Our hope is not just based on whether or not we're going to be fixed within a day. Our hope looks externally towards the future, the longevity of what God has for you to eternity where He wants to live and love you forever, and now you live in love with your spouse on earth. So we have to look at it in that context. I'm going to be patient because I know what God has for me. Resentment and anger and bitterness will rob you of patience because it destroys your hope. It says, they're never going to change. They've never changed. They always do this. You always frustrate me. You've never changed. You say the same thing. You think the same way. You're never going to change. That's not the gospel. God doesn't look at you and go, you're worthless. You'll never change. You're such a sinner. I'm done with you. No, He wants to live and love you for eternity and raise you up into heaven for it. Joy gets robbed by bitterness, anger. It gets robbed by resentment because it looks at, it doesn't. You don't desire to be with that person. You look at them as a as a frustration rather than an excitement. You don't delight in being in their presence. You, you you try to avoid being in their presence. You stop doing things you love with them, and you start doing things you love with others. And so you move away from their presence, and you move towards the presence of things that bring you joy because resentment has robbed you of joy with your own spouse resentment, anger, and bitterness want to rob you of the goodness that God has for you, and it ultimately will rob you of peace because it brings chaos and confusion because you start to ask these questions. Do I even want to be with this person anymore? Is it even worth the work anymore? God, why did I even marry this person? Why did I commit to this person? What am I doing? All your peace is robbed from you because you see only the sin rather than you in bearing the struggle and enduring with the struggle and helping this person grow through their struggle. But the gospel will reverse all that because it shows us hope. It shows us heaven. It shows us patience because God is the one who's patient with us, not wanting for us to endure wrath, but being long patient with us. God's the one that gives us joy because He... in. Can you imagine the God of the universe finds delight and joy in living with his creation? Y'all think about that for a moment. The next time you think, man, because people do this. And, and look, if you're here, move towards where God has you. It's okay. But the next time you think with your spouse, you're like, I don't want to be with them because they struggle with this thing, and I don't struggle with it, and it's just really frustrating. I'm too good for them. I'm too blank for them. I like to do these things. they don't like to do these things, or whatever it may be. Remember this: the God of the universe has chosen to come live in your presence. Your presence. In our weakness and in our struggle, not in our perfection, He chose to come live in our presence. So much God loves you. How much do you love your spouse? How much have you committed to your spouse? Do you covenant to your spouse like God has committed to you? So the gospel is reversing all these things to ultimately bring about love, peace, hope, joy, forgiveness, patience. Bring about love, the fruit of the Spirit, so that in your marriages you can embody love and ultimately honor God. So I want to give you a couple practical tips within your marriage on how to honor each other. First is to confess hurts to and from. So see it, share it, and seek help. You've got to first confess those hurts. When you're sharing those things, it's got to be the place, like the gospel, where you're able to say, look, I've hurt you, and I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it again. And when I do, I'm going to confess to you that I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it again. And I'm going to fight to not do it again, and then I'm going to fight to not do it again. It's that's true confession, confession and repentance. I'm sorry, and I'm going to work to not do it again. But it's also, it's not just to, it's from. It's you, look, here's a way that you've hurt me, but I love you and I forgive you for it and I'm going to walk with you, right? Confess to and from. We're sharing. Because what happens when you don't share when someone has hurt you? You build up anger and resentment, you build up bitterness. We think, oh, we're protecting them, but really we're destroying them. We're destroying them with our minds and ultimately later on it's going to come out. We're holding those things, bearing those sins rather than bearing those struggles and burdens. We're bearing those sins and we're going, Well, they've hurt me. They hurt me again. They hurt me again. They hurt me. I'm not going to say anything because it hurt them. They hurt me again. They hurt me again. I'm not going to say anything because it's going to hurt them. You are hurting them. We've got to see it, share it, and seek help for it. But that means that both parties got to be forgiving, got to be listening. If one of the parties is not forgiving, then it's really hard to confess hurts. So we got to constantly share you've hurt me, but I forgive you. I've hurt you, and I'm sorry. Have fun together. You want to know how to really conquer anger, bitterness, and, and resentment? Have fun. It's really hard to be angry at each other while you're whitewater rafting, it can happen. Or biking on a mountain, or or seeing God's beautiful creation, or getting away for a weekend, uh, or a night, or whatever it may be. It's hard to be angry at each other when you're doing something that you both love, or that one of you loves, and the other one just wants to see the person love. Go eat some crabs together. You know what I'm saying? Put some old bay on or Jo, whatever you want to. Just enjoy each other again. Go golfing together. Go for a run together. Work out together. Right? Watch some Georgia Bulldogs together. Nobody? (laughs) That's all right. I want you to make decisions together. With the wisdom of God being poured out into your hearts, make decisions together, not solo. Don't make every single decision in isolation, because when you do, you set yourself up. You set your marriage up for one-sided decisions that lead the other person to frustration. We are one. My wife and I are one. We make decisions together. God pours wisdom out into her life, and it helps and sharpens me, and we have to work together to make decisions so that it's never, Matt, you made this decision on an island in isolation, and it's your fault that we that this happened. I understand there's quick moments that that has to happen. I understand that we have to do certain things like that. I understand that people have to make decisions, quick decisions. But if we have the opportunity to make decisions in, long, uh, in, in some amount of time, always seeking wisdom together, praying together, working together to come to a place where we are making this decision together. But also when you can't come to that conclusion, make decisions for one another. And I don't mean like I made this decision for you. I mean like make a decision that benefits them. Make a decision that encourages them. Make a decision that sacrifices your own good for their good. It's exactly what Christ did. When he was faced in the garden with the opportunity to either find, uh, either do whatever he wanted to do because he's God, or go to the cross. He had the opportunity before him. He says he's going to choose what God gave him. The path that God gave him, which was The cross for you. What does it look like for you to make decisions for the other? Uh, another is to delight in the success of others. Don't, uh, don't look at your spouse with greed and jealousy and frustration when they succeed. But when they succeed, continue to fan that to flame. If you want to over, overcome uh, uh, bitterness and, and resentment and anger and all the frustrations and qualms you may have, find biblical contentment in your marriage. Nothing more, nothing less, just what God has for you. Contentment. Your spouse is not perfect. And neither are you. But in God's grace, He brought you together, two became one, and that is exactly what God wants. Nothing more, nothing less. So whatever God's doing in your marriage, I ask you to do this during this time of worship. The, band, the band's going to come forward. We're going to we're going to worship together. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend some time praying, knowing what Christ did on the cross to save us from our sin, raised from the dead that we might be raised up with him knowing the gospel message of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you right now to spend some time in prayer. You can stay seated or you can stand in worship, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about, is God calling you back to your vows in your marriage? Or if you're not married or you have been married, how are you honoring and supporting marriage in this, in this idea, in this concept, supporting people? Is God calling you back to your vows to look at those vows and say, am I living this out in my life? Am I honoring God and honoring the marriage? Do I need to recommit recommit to what I said I was going to do? Sometimes we just need to take a step back and see it and share it and seek help. Would you recommit to what God called you to do in your marriage in honoring Him and honoring the marriage? Would you take a step back and look at it? Maybe today, you've been bearing sin. Your own sin and your spouse's sin on your shoulders. You see them so negatively or you see them with such frustration that it's built up such resentment in your life that you can barely stand to be in their presence. Maybe you know somebody who's this way. Regardless, I want to ask you to forgive. Forgive like Christ forgives. Find peace that only Christ can give. Restore joy in your marriage. Spend time together doing things that you love. Be patient with one another because our hope is in Christ, not in this world. Resentment will unravel your commitment or Christ's forgiveness and the Spirit's crucifixion, Christ's crucifixion and the Spirit's forgiveness and transformation will draw you back to commitment and covenant and restore your marriage. This is my prayer for you. Will you spend time praying about how you can recommit to your marriage? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We trust you. We believe that you're working in our lives, and in the life of our spouse, and in the life of our future spouse. For those in this room who are longing for marriage, for those in this room who are in marriage, I pray, God, that You would pour Your Spirit out and that Your Son would continue to crucify sin within them. That it might not cause a disruption in their marriage or divide that marriage, but rather draw it closer together that we might honor marriage and protect it. Father, we trust what You're doing. Help us to desire no more, no less work in our lives father we pray this in your son's name amen you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after jesus uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey